Inshallah, the brothers have already signed in. Yeah, it's just once if you do it, inshallah, we'll be in the system. So request of those who are here, if you can quickly take a minute to sign up, that would be great. As uh, Hassanin mentioned that, you know, this is just we're trying to make an effort to improve the experience for the attendees. And as mashallah, we're going to be coming close to the end of this surah. So now in terms of starting the next surah, feedback, and what, what surahs you would like me to cover. Um, and anything else we can do to make sure the experience is best for those who are attending online or on site. Alhamdulillah. This is why um, we're asking the brothers to register, inshallah. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها النبي قل لأزواجك وبناتك ونساء المؤمنين يدنين عليهن من جلابيبهن ذلك أدنى أن يعرف فلا يؤذين وكان الله غفورا رحيما لئن لم ينته المنافقون والذين في قلوبهم مرض والمرجفون في المدينة لنغرينك بهم ثم لا يجاورونك فيها إلا قليلا ملعونين أينما ثقفوا أخذوا وقتلوا تقتيلا سنة الله في الذين خلوا من قبل ولن تجد لسنة الله تبديلا يسألك الناس عن الساعة قل إنما علمها عند الله وما يدريك لعل الساعة تكون قريبا إن الله لعن الكافرين وأعد لهم سعيرا خالدين فيها أبدا لا يجدون وليا ولا نصيرا يوم تقلب وجوههم في النار يقولون يا ليتنا أطعنا الله وأطعنا الرسول وقالوا ربنا إنا أطعنا سادتنا وكبراءنا فأضلون السبيل ربنا آتهم ضعفين من العذاب ولعنهم لعنا كبيرا These are verses 59 to 68 that was recited from Surah Al-Ahzab. Inshallah, we'll go through the translation and, and then we'll go over the commentary. Allah Azza says, O Prophet to say to your wives and to your daughters and to the women folk of the believers that they should draw part of their mantles over themselves in public. This makes it more likely that they will be recognized as virtuous women so they will not be harassed. And Allah is all forgiving, mercy giving. Most surely if the hypocrites and those in whose doubting hearts there is a sickness and the scandal mongers in the city of Medina, if they do not desist from the malicious talk, we shall most surely, we wish, we shall most surely rouse you against them in vengeance. Then they shall remain your neighbors therein for no more than a short while. Cursed shall they be then wherever they are found. They shall be seized and slain at once without exception. Such has been the way of Allah with those hypocrites who have gone before. 
And never will you find, O Prophet of Allah, in the established way of Allah, any alteration. People ask you in disbelief about the appointed time for the hour of judgment, O Prophet ﷺ. Say to them, indeed, its precise knowledge is only with Allah. But what is it that shall make you realize that it is surely coming? Perhaps the hour of doom is already very near. Indeed, Allah has cursed the disbelievers and has prepared for them a flaming fire in the hereafter, wherein they shall abide forever and ever, finding therein neither patron nor supporter. The day that their faces shall be turned about in the fire of hell, they will say, Oh, if only we had obeyed God and obeyed the messenger. Moreover, they will say, Oh, our Lord, indeed we have obeyed our leaders and our great ones amongst us. So it is they who have made us stray from the path of righteousness. Our Lord, give them double torment of us. Moreover, curse them with a terrible curse. So, I will begin the explanation of this. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Rabbi shahli sadri wa yassir li amri wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana. Subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana. Subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana. Amma ba'd. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first and foremost that He allows us to uh, take the most benefit from, from this dars. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to inspire me to say those things which are most relevant to all of you who are listening here in person and those of you who are listening online. May Allah azawajal allow something in the dars to touch your heart and may he, may, may he make this dars a means of solving the problems. Solving the problems in your life. May He make it a means of, of giving solutions to the issues that you and I are facing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow it to become a source of calmness and peace in our life. Ameen Rabbil Alameen. So dear respected friends, we, we talked about uh, last week, the, uh, what did we end on? Who remembers? What was the last thing we spoke about? The very last thing. Uh, the, the, the qualities of? Or the five characteristics of? Hijab, Zakallah khair. Uncle, mashallah, brother, dear brothers, always taking notes. So that's the thing. If you take notes, you'll know it. If you don't take notes, you're never going to know it. Right? This is where we always recommend everyone to take notes and write because otherwise it'll just become a passing thing, right? And there's thousands of lectures online and this will just become another one of those. So if you want to take benefit properly, then take notes and then you can discuss it with family. You can yourself, alhamdulillah, it's nice if you attended a dars, you can say, I've attended from beginning to end. This is what, our 16th? 16th, I think so. 18th part of Surah Al-Ahzab. Next week, inshallah, hope may, may be, may be the 19th and last one, Yani. Or maybe we'll end up going 20th, I'm not sure. But that's a lot of time investment that you've given into the dars. So the best is uh, that you compile it together and alhamdulillah keep notes and, and, and feel like you've participated in the, in the class. So we spoke about the etiquettes of, or conditions of hijab, the qualities of hijab that are, that are mentioned over there. Now, uh, one of the points that did, we didn't cover last week, uh, we talked about khimar, we talked about jilbab, the definition of jilbab and things of that sort. One aspect of this here, it says, Allah says, cover, put the mantle over yourselves. Remember we talked about how the jahili women, they would put the mantle behind their back, cover up their head and put the rest of it behind their back instead of putting it in front of the chest. We're being told here to put it in front of the chest, cover the front part. And then Allah Azza wa says, Then I also explain how Abdullah ibn Abbas and many of the earliest scholars of hadith, I'm sorry, tafsir, explained that this meant that when you cover from the top, 
it means the entire face is covered. Except for a small portion by which you can walk, walk around. So basically, the covering of the face was included in the jilbab as well, based on the earliest explanations um, of, of this ayah. Then the Quran said, This makes it more likely that they will be recognized as virtuous women so that they will not be harassed. This is such an important point here for us to focus on. The Quran is basically saying that those women who will appropriately cover themselves with jilbab beyond the scarf and with following the etiquettes of jilbab that we talked about hijab, that it should not be exposing, covering one part of the body and exposing another part. Number one. Number two, it should not be, the cloth should not be see-through or thin. Number three, the cloth should not be tight-fitting around the, of the body. Number four, the cloth itself should not be an adornment and an attraction in itself. And number five, the cloth should not have itar and fragrance on it. And lastly, number six, the cloth should not, or the clothing should not be resembling of to women. I'm sorry, to, of men, resembling of men. So this is, you know, the conditions of the hijab that we spoke about, six of them. So now Allah Azza wa is saying that if a lady covers herself up in this manner, there's a chance that she, this is better and more, this is, this is going to be more obvious that she will be recognized as a virtuous woman in society so that they will not be harassed. Basically saying that when a lady follows these rules of hijab, she's sending a signal. She's letting people know that she, her deen is internal and external and that she wants to let people know that she's not available to be, you know, for people to flirt with, very clearly. Not available for people to make comments, not available for people to look at and to, uh, you know, make her into some sort of, uh, you know, objectifier. That that's not cool. I'm not one of those type of women. It's a very clear sign you're sending to the men who have sickness in their heart. As the hadith talks about, the ayah is going to speak about marad. Sickness in the heart. Those, those people who have a sickness in the heart, when they see this woman who is covered up properly, following these etiquettes, and she has haya in her, then they will realize that this is not one of the ones I can make a move on. Now, today's society, we ended last dars about feminist society, and how the feminist society is continuously pushing women to act like men. And then they complain about women not being respected. But they feel like respect can only come to women when women act like men and dress like men. So here as well, this is something for the betterment and protection of women. But women, many of this enlightened women of today have a problem with that. And say that no, we will choose to dress as we wish. And at the same time, uh, no one should look at us. So we are not here taking the blame away. The Quran is not taking the blame away from men. Or blame away from everyone must do what they're supposed to do. The men need to lower their gaze. The women need to lower the gaze. Both have been individually ordered to lower the gaze in Surah An-Nur. Both have been individually asked to lower the gaze. Men have to lower the gaze. Women have to lower the gaze. Men have to dress appropriately if the women, if the men dress in a provocative manner amongst and walking through a group of women. Obviously, that's not going to be allowed. That's not going to be you know acceptable. And similarly, the same thing goes for women. So in a mixed society where you have men and women together outside. What should be done then? That men and women do two things. One is offensively and defensively. In both cases, they're taking a, uh, the, a protective measure. That they are ensuring that their clothing is going to be following the, the sharia. They're going to be fo following the most proper etiquette. And, 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 and leading, uh, wearing the most 
um, a clothing of modesty. At the same time, they're going to lower their gaze. Just in case if someone in front of you does not follow these rules, you know, you can't do anything about it. So if they don't follow it, you yourself don't want to fall for them. And you don't want to trip and, and fall into sin. So that's why we've been asked that. You do your job of lowering your gaze. And we hope that the other person does their job of dressing appropriately. But when if a person does not do so, it doesn't dress appropriately, what is the, the signal that we're giving that I want to flaunt my body? And most definitely, I want to get the attraction. Now look at the, the, what you call this soap. The body wash that you get the most famous body washes in the stores for men and for women. And in the back, they'll have a whole marketing gimmick there. What is that? He puts on this body wash and all of a sudden, he's attracting this, you know, this uh, attracting a woman towards himself. Or she's, she puts on this body wash and attracting a man towards herself. You see that in all these companies. They have that in the back of their bottle. Normal bottle that probably all of us here have at home. It's so clear, whether, it's, whether it, you look at the advertisement industry for perfume, look at for uh, jewelry, look at for soap, look at for toothpaste. The idea is that if you, do, if you wear this clothing or if you use this toothpaste or this uh, cologne, you're going to be able to attract someone. And let's not, yeah, and that is the whole marketing industry. The Quran is saying that if you choose to stay away from those flashy things and you like to remain, you know, wear a more subdued type of clothing, and not try to make a fashion statement, you are simultaneously sending a signal that this is your li type of uh, lifestyle based on modesty and haya, and you're not interested or available for people to flirt. This very basic principle, if our men and women were to take upon themselves, the dunya would be different. MashaAllah, graduates of our one-year program have told me that one of the greatest things that they have taken amongst the many, many other benefits is that the ability to wear a certain type of Islamic clothing at university, wearing a kufi, wearing a thobe, right, wearing uh, you know a, a, a turban, whatever the case may be, and say we are, we go to some of the medical schools or whatnot, be, we get the courage and the self confidence to be able to dress in this manner and go to school every single day, and by us wearing that, we're sending a signal with our full length grown beard, with our thobe, with our topi, we're sending a signal that I'm not here out there trying to you know make the MSA event a hookup event. That's not what I'm interested in. You send that signal. That no, this, you can try it with some other boys, but that's not for me. So even with a boy, when a young man dressed in a certain manner, right? No one's going to come and try to sit there and say, oh, I would, I would love to play with your turban. <laughs> right? That's not going to happen. They will say, let's move away from this person. He's not interested. He's boring. I went to four years of normal undergrad over here. Not even adult track. Dressed in the same way I'm dressed in front of you today. And I'm just saying that people respect that. They'll just realize that that's the type of person you are and fine. You know, no one's going to try to sit there and say, no, we have to take this away from you or things of that sort. And the same thing goes to women. When women dress in a certain way, and not just dress, dear boys and girls, dress and act in a manner that goes in line with that type of dressing. That's a really important point. Because today we got this new style of Islamic clothing, Islamic dressing. That a person dresses with haya and acts without haya. That's a big problem too. So now some people are using this technique to get in, to make inroads, to present themselves as pious, so that now you'll stay low-key, under the radar. But then you do your hanky-panky business. 
You do all the nonsense while staying under the radar, right? I mean, subhanAllah, this is very obvious tricks to me. Shaitan has, he's a million steps ahead of all of us. But I see this, it's very clear. Meaning between in men and women too. That Islamic garb and Islamic dress is now being used by certain individuals to camouflage their true identity as well. And to act, you know, in a manner that people will get impressed. And so that they keep their eyes off of them and then they do their dirty business what they need to do. So that's, we're not speaking about such people. That is not going to get us any closer to Allah Azza wa Jalla. That's why I said there has to be a match between the lifestyle that we have internally and externally. Now that doesn't mean if a person is internally weak, he should say, oh, I'm internally weak, hence I'm going to dress externally weak as well. No. That's incorrect. If a person is internally weak, he should say, inshallah, I'm going to fake it till I make it. Right? As long as you're sincere inside, that you want to change, that you want to become a better person. And you say, I love the pious, although I'm not from amongst them. I hope Allah will grant me one day piety. This is the statement of Imam Hanifa. I love the pious, although I'm not from amongst them. I hope Allah will grant me piety. Similarly, the hadith that was just mentioned after Maghrib, a person is going to be with the one who he loves. So although I'm not what people make out to be, but it's not like I'm a hypocrite either. I want to become like that. So there's a fine difference between the two. Remember that. That there are those who have no intention to change and use their clothing as a simple way to deceive people. That's what's hypocrisy. And there are those who say that, no, I am not where I need to be, but I still want to dress like the pious of my town, pious of my community, hoping that one day I'll become like that. This is a very big difference. So if a person is wearing a turban, you don't have to be a sheikh or a maulana to wear a turban. Turban and sunnah of Rasulullah anyone can wear it. So now it, you don't have to feel guilty about it, no matter what people say. It's not something that you know you have to have a license, go get a license for to wear a turban. If you feel like you want to wear a turban over your kufi, by all means do it. And you say, well, this is the simplest way I could, I could resemble Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who would very often wear his turban. And I would resemble the, even the angels that were descending in the battle of Badr. Huh? Even the angels that were coming in the various expeditions, the angels descending from the heaven, they were wearing turbans. So a person wants to look like that, by all means. Your mahabba and love for the angels is definitely something noteworthy. Goes back to the point is that, if we want to not be bothered by those people who have a sickness in the heart, then send a very clear signal. Instead of saying, oh my God, there's attraction from everywhere, there's haram from everywhere, what, what am I supposed to do with that? So if we present ourselves in a manner that attracts the attention to ourselves, then don't blame anyone besides yourself. But if we have the concept of haya, then you will see, things will be different. You see, back 50, 60 years ago, when our parents came to this country, before they came here, many of our elders who are listening can say, they didn't have, you know, maybe a deeper understanding of deen that today's boys and girls may have. They didn't have all these, you know, durus and halaqat and tafsir. How many of our elders sitting here, and listening online. Literally, look at this age group here. 15, 20 year olds sitting here. How many of you when you're 15 and 20 attended a dars of tafsir? Probably many did not. Didn't have access to that. You're studying, you're doing something else. You're in a different direction. Whatever the case may But haya was something that was drilled into you. You just kind of knew that these are things we don't do. Even if up to the extent that even a person wasn't regular in their prayer. But you wouldn't find in 1950s and in 60s or you know overseas Random girls and guys sitting there in the hallway of their high school or their college, chit-chatting, you know, trying to make, figuring out how they're going to go do something wrong. That culture didn't accept that. 
They may have been weak in their prayer, weak in their Quran, and all those type of things. But this was something that was drilled in their minds, the, the haya and the concept of bashfulness. That men and women got their own lifestyle, and then when they, want, they need to get married, then they get married. Besides that, there's no mingling. That's not something that, that's cool, we're cool with. Only the very worst of the worst, the complete, you know, unfortunately you would say the scum of the, of the community, would be someone who would sit there and would look for, you know, sit, the, the guy would sit there and try to, try to pick on girls. And even he would be doing that. I cannot imagine during our parents' time for them to say that there were girls who would do these type of things in the 50s, in the 60s from the schools that our parents have graduated from. That they would sit there with girls sitting there trying to attract guys, you know. That was just not the, how the system worked. We're now in this new emboldened era where shaitan has really overtaken the minds of both men and women and has make, make, make them do things that are completely against the dictates of any type of decency. So this ayah is telling us that if you don't want to be harassed, then act like it. Act in a manner. Present the message to you that I'm not involved. I'm here at university to study. I'm here at school to study and do my thing. And I'm not getting involved in anything else. And inshallah, through your, state, through your dressing and through the way you uh, present yourself, people will automatically respect you and stay away. That type of crowd that is out there to cause a problem will stay away from you. This is advice from the Quran. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable the youth of the community, the men and the women of the community, as well as the married brothers and sisters, to follow this etiquette um, of not trying to invite trouble towards themselves. The, the hijab aspect for women, there's, the deen is worn internally and in, externally, both. We have to understand that. Hijab and haya and modesty is not the only part of the deen of a lady. That is the external part. Internally, her becoming a hafila or alima, her becoming a da'ya, her becoming a, an amazing uh, teacher, her becoming an amazing mother, her becoming an amazing wife, her becoming an amazing uh, asset to the society. All of those things are aspects of her deen as well. We need to also clarify that. That it's not that a whole deen lies only in this. They are two different aspects of her deen. One is internal and one, ex one is external. So although we're speaking about the external aspect of the deen, we are not denying that this, there's a lot more beyond that which is her in, her in her journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My beloved friends, in India when I was traveling, I found out in many places that even people who pray salah, the women don't pray. When they go out to bazaar, when they go to the marketplace. You know, you go shopping there. How quickly Dhuhr Asa Maghrib goes, you're jumping from one rickshaw to the other, one taxi to the other, one shop to the other shop. Those who pray, they have a musalla there, a masjid there in the marketplace, they go inside and pray. But I was surprised to see that there's the women coming from good homes, practicing, but if you're shopping during the day, then you just miss all your prayers. Unfortunately, there's not many places that have a pro proper place to pray in the masajid. That's a problem, definitely. But at the same time, we also have to realize that whether there's like right here, when you travel from here to Chicago, how many masjids you have in the way? Or from here to Indiana or here to Ohio? You play at a rest stop. You, play at, you pray at a, in a parking lot of a, some random store. So over there, I noticed that there's so much jahala in the women, and the men don't help remove that jahala. That many of them, I one community I visited, that I was told to speak, and they said, can you please talk about the importance of standing up in prayer? I said, what do you mean by that? They said, the women here, 
they think you, can, you don't need to stand, you just sit and pray. Fard salah. Right? Generally speaking, they sit and pray. Have you, any of you, I'm not sure if you all heard this. So I traveled one, one place, one city, and that's what they told me. Give a talk, explain that this is fard. You, if you sit down and pray without an excuse, that salah is not valid. So what, what has happened in those societies is that women, along with the men, have been kept jahil. By the society, by men themselves too. They don't realize that our women, they need to be, if not, if not ahead of us, equivalent to us in the knowledge of deen. Because they are the first instructors and teachers and, and the, of our children. And their lap is the very first school that our sons and daughters graduate from. So by marrying, I mean, I'm sorry, by educating our women, what are we doing? We're educating the entire generation ahead of us. So this is something very important, fundamental to our deen, the education and the ilm of our women, of our society. And unfortunately, do you think it's improved in America? I don't think so. The women are, the Muslim American women, I read this statistic about maybe seven, eight years ago, are the number one most educated minority in the entire country. Muslim women in this country are the number one most educated minority in terms of degrees. There's no one, no other minority. Women have that many degrees as our women have. But when it comes to the matters of deen, we're still as zero as we were overseas. No difference. No concept of understanding of what fiqh is, what tahara is, what hadith is, what seerah is. Nothing. No one even thinks about it, that it's a problem. Look at, look at the, the brothers who come for Jum'ah, the brothers who come for programs. Even in their very own homes, how much jahala there is. That the husband will come regularly to the dars. The husband will come to a Jum'ah. The husband will, act, will volunteer in some program. But if you figure out what's happening at home, you say, oh, man, please, let's not go over there. So we are suffering the very same problem of overseas here as well. That the women of our community, unfortunately, are falling behind in terms of seeking the ilm, in terms of uh, getting closer to Allah Azawajal. So that responsibility lies upon who? Us as husbands, us as fathers. We need to emphasize on this. That it is not sufficient that you go ahead and become a professional and get this degree. Allah, beyond that, more important than that is that you learn the deen. In, you know, in universities right now, women are have higher percentage of women are graduating with a bachelor's than men. This is past decade. Women already surpass men in the number of uh, degrees that they're getting. But in the matters of deen, we're still unfortunately not there. So I, this is a message to our men here who's sitting here. That you need to start emphasizing this at home. You need to create a culture of importance that you say, I've talked about this many times. I've said, okay, fine. I'll do the babysitting. I want you to take the dars. I'll do the babysitting. I want you to take a class. I'll take care of the chores. There's nothing more beloved to me and more nice to me to, for you to be able to take a one hour dars every day and learn how to recite Quran properly with tajweed. There's nothing more beloved than you taking a, a fiqh of, 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 of tahara for women. We'll take care of this stuff. Do that. That's something you, we have to give preference to this. We have to show the importance of this. And inshallah, when, they, when we as men take the lead in this, hopefully they will follow. And they'll say, okay, fine. Since you are so accommodating and you're, and you're really encouraging this, I'll do that. And the boys and the men who are getting married, they need to keep that as a prerequisite. Then make sure we marry women who have studied the deen. If they haven't studied it, you're going to suffer huge consequences. Because as it's commonly said, that the deen of your home 
your deen, bring, your religion and your deen comes all the way to the doorstep of the house. And then from the doorstep inside is through the wife. If the wife has a deen, then the, the deen will be welcomed into the home. If she doesn't have it, you can be whoever you are. You could be Sheikh al-Islam. You could be Sheikh you know, al-Qarya, Fulan. You could be Sheikh of the whole city, the country. Your deen is going to stay at the house, at the doorstep. It's not going to come inside. It will come inside through the women, through the wives, through the daughters, especially women. So as young brothers here who may be looking to get married, keep this as your criteria that you want to make sure deen is there. SubhanAllah, how sad it was for me to hear one of the Sunday schools of an 11-year-old amongst thousands of 11 and 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds of our community, boys and girls, who come to Sunday school, one of the few, mashallah, who was blessed to come to Sunday school at the age of 11 or 12, they were asked to recite Surah Al-Fatiha and they had no idea. No idea what Surah Al-Fatiha was. 12-year-olds not knowing Kalima Tayyib, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. This is, these are that group of people who don't know but yet are coming from homes that their mom and dad want them to come to the masjid on Sunday. So imagine what about that group that is not even motivated to come once a week or those parents who are not sending their kids to even Sunday school or anything of that sort. SubhanAllah, we have a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. And as a community, if we realize this, then we can start, you know, making effort, inshallah, towards changing this. Allah says, if the hypocrites don't stop causing the chaos that they do, Allah is going to destroy them. So three, three groups of people. Number one, munafiqun, hypocrites. So Ahmad is going to be passing around the clipboard. Those brothers who came in earlier and did not register for the tafsir outside, please inshallah take a moment to do that uh, as he passes the keyboard around. And uh, this, I'm sorry, the, the clipboard, benefit of that as has been said earlier, is that for us to be able to have a more interactive uh, session where people, the link will be shared for you to ask questions inshallah and I'll answer at the beginning of my dars next week. And for us to also do polls, get feedback and things of that sort and follow up with all, uh, with all of you inshallah. And so that link should be shared on the chat as well, on the YouTube chat. So when someone can do that, I appreciate that. So three things, three groups of people. Number one, hypocrites. Number two, those who have a sickness in the heart. Number three, al-murjifun. Those who uh, cause scandal mongers. Scandal mongers. Three groups of people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if those who are the hypocrites and those with doubting hearts and those with scandal mongers, if they don't des desist and stop from their evil talk, O Prophet of Allah, we will most surely make you stand up, rise you against them in vengeance, and we will make you a means of destroying them, and then these people will not stay any longer with you in Medina, they will be destroyed. So this ayah is not just like a historical ayah that we sit and read, okay, this happened and move on. Many people approach the Quran as though it's a history book, and those people who approach it as a history book don't learn Necessarily the lessons. As this known, Al-Kitab, Al-Quran, Al-Kitab Al-Hayy. The book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a living book. It's a living testimony. It literally is. It's so amazing. It, it's living. What I mean by living, it fits in to every era. And the ulama of that era will give you an explanation of that verse that is, a, that is relevant to the era that they're in. Without, without rejecting or denying the commentaries of the past scholars. In light of what the past scholars and the companions have said, they will give us an application of that verse in our modern day. That is what you call a living book. It is not something that is placed in a bookshelf and that's it. 
So here, we're, you can say that these three characteristics are found within the same people, or these three characteristics are found within three different people, three different types. What are the characteristics? Hypocrisy, doubt and sickness in the heart, and those who like to spread scandals. Three things. So it could be all three are found within one person, or they're all three different categories. The Quran speaks about those people who like to share bad news or scandals amongst the community. The Quran says, Indeed, those who love, indeed, those who love that lewdness and scandals be spread amongst the believers, for them is a painful torment in the, heaven, in the world and in the hereafter. Ayah 19 of Surah An-Nur. Ayah 19 of Surah An-Nur. So someone may say that these people didn't do anything. All they is they love scandals. They love juicy scandals, whether they're right or wrong, whether they're truth or falsehood to it. But they love this type of scandal spreading in the Muslims and saying, oh, did you hear about this one? Did you hear about her? Did you hear about them? You know, like the whole uh, paparazzi culture and the, 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 the pop star culture. It's just all about who's getting married, who's getting divorced, who's having a baby, who's having an abortion, who's having this, who's having a scandal, who's having an affair. They, they thrive on that. So the Qur'an is saying those who love these type of things within the Muslim community, for them is a painful torment in this world and the hereafter. Someone may ask, these people haven't done anything. You just love this, but you haven't physically harmed someone. You haven't beaten someone up. You haven't done anything. Why is there such a severe punishment mentioned here? In the world, in this world and the hereafter, there's severe punishment for the one. So the answer one of the ulama has given is that, that this is a sign of hypocrisy. A true Muslim would never wish that scandals be spread in the society. A true Muslim and a mu'min would never wish that his Muslim brother or sister, you know, be defamed. A true Muslim would never hear an a, 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 a accusation about a mother, Muslim brother or sister and pick up the phone and say, did you hear? Or share it on WhatsApp, share it on Twitter, that did you hear? I talked about that last week too, remember what I said? I said, if we want this tafsir to be heard most, then, then connect it with a scandal. Say, this scandal will be discussed in the first five minutes of the tafsir. And you'll see you'll have thousands of people listening. Because we love that type of stuff. Juicy stuff, astaghfirullah. Whether it's fake, whether it's made up, it doesn't make a difference. As long as it's pulling someone down, as long as it's destroying someone's reputation, our culture, we thrive on that. Unfortunately, this is the reality. People thrive on juicy gossip. Ghiba. And this is what we call the enemy within. We don't need an outside enemy. We don't need an outside force to destroy us. When we have such habits like this, we self-destroy. We self-destruct. This habit of gossip, this habit of backbiting, this habit of false accusations, this habit of talking about things which are not relevant to us, and carrying tales. All of these evil diseases of the tongue that come start off from the heart, they make the Muslim community extremely hollow. They make us lose our unity. They make us fall apart. And we cannot stand up to any challenge of our era because of problems like this. So what did we say? Why did Allah promise them punishment in this world the next? Because this is what? A hip hypocrite. Only a hypocrite would do that. Only a hypocrite would love to spread evil amongst the believers. My dear brothers and sisters, 
What is he? A hypocrite is the one deep down he doesn't believe in Allah. The only reason he's sticking around with the Muslims is because he sees that there's some worldly benefit he gets. Biryani is good, the culture is good, the, you know, the opposite gender is available for me to interact with. All kinds of ajeeb things. This is the reality. So he finds it comfortable for him to associate himself with believers, even though deep down inside, he's got nothing to do with Islam. That's hypocrisy. And so if they get a chance to attack a Muslim or to spread a scandal, they're ready for that. My beloved friends, this is something we got to work on ourselves. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has covered up our faults, while you and I know we have these horrible traits of a hypocrite within our heart, yet we're not being exposed, then realize that this is Allah being kind to us, giving us a chance to repent. We just covered today in Hadith Ayatul Munafiqi, Thalath. The sign of a hypocrite is three. When he speaks, he lies. When he speaks, he lies. When he promises, he breaks his promise. And when he's entrusted with something, he betrays that trust. And in one hadith, the fourth trait, that when he argues, he swears. When he argues, he swears. Four things. When he speaks, he lies. When, he's, uh, when he break, makes a promise, he breaks it. When he's given a trust, he uh, doesn't fulfill that trust. And lastly, when he argues and fights, he loses himself and he curses. These are the signs of a hypocrite. So if any of these things are within me, and yet Allah's punishment has not come on top of me, realize that Allah is giving me a chance to repent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me a chance to repent. Before that day comes, when this individual will be exposed in front of billions and billions of people on the day of judgment, and even tears of blood will be of no benefit. And there will be no, no way out at that day. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Baqarah, and over here as well. The word marad, what's marad? Sickness. Let's talk about this point here. Allah says, In their heart is a sickness. My beloved friends, the worst, the most intimidating and scary, worrisome thing is that the human being's body is strong and healthy while the heart is sick. The body is strong, but the heart is sick. This is the worst thing. If you are feeling nauseous, if you're feeling like you got stomach pain, you're feeling you got too much diarrhea, you got throbbing headache for the past three days, none of us will sit at home. We'll run to the hospital, go to the urgent care, we'll go call our doctor, whatnot, see a specialist. We'll take all the medication because all the brothers and sisters sitting here, we realize what we say by Sihat bohut badi cheez hai. Uska khayal rakhe. Hey, doctor. Right? The siha health is the biggest blessing. Take care of it. But unfortunately, our society has made siha and health specific to what? The physical realm. Without even for a moment thinking that there's something called the health of the soul. That, that is by Allah much, much, much more important than the, the health of the physical body. That if a person physically is extremely weak and extremely uh, uh, you know, uh, suffering, but the soul is strong and the soul is healthy, then in this, this person will be enjoying the highest levels of paradise even if he dies. 
something daqiq and important to realize. That no matter how massive the sickness of the body may be, no matter how painful the sickness of the body may be, as soon as death comes, it will all come to an end. And there is nothing, no repercussions and no pain at all. We say that he passed away peacefully in his, in his sleep. Oh, at last he's been saved from the pain he was suffering from XYZ sickness. Now he will rest in peace. People say that. Because physically, your body will not suffer those the repercussions or the effects of a disease once the soul has departed. But my beloved friends, the sickness of the soul and the sickness of the heart, the punishment of that, the repercussions of that only truly begin to be manifested once the soul departs. And once a person is lowered into the grave, then the real deal starts. In this dunya, a person can be narcissistic, can be arrogant, can be full of himself, can be self-conceited, can be insincere, can be filled with anger, hatred, and jealousy for others. And he can lead a very successful life, professionally speaking, materialistically speaking. He won't even for one moment think that there's something wrong with me. But my friends, as soon as a soul departs and he's lowered in the grave, even before he's lowered in the grave, the punishment will begin. And what is the greatest sickness of the heart? Kufr. Disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Disbelief in Allah is the greatest oppression and the greatest sickness. As Muslims sitting here, ask ourselves, does our society, our Muslim society agree with what I just said? Do our Muslim youth and our Muslim professionals and Muslim edu you know, college educated individuals, do they acknowledge and agree that the biggest sickness and the biggest problem you can suffer is the sickness of the soul and not the sickness of the body? Do they acknowledge that there is no greater oppression and no greater sin and no greater problem that you could get yourself involved in than disbelief in Allah? Unfortunately, most do not. Let's be honest. Kufr and disbelief is something like, yeah, that's between you and your Lord. What is that supposed to mean? Exactly, between you and your Lord. That's the biggest problem. That is the biggest problem. If you don't have that right, nothing will come right. Iman in Allah and fulfilling the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is number one. As someone said nicely, you got the five, ten fingers of your two hands. The rights of humanity, the rights of animals and plants, all of that is your eight fingers. And the rights of Allah and His Rasul are your two thumbs. These are fundamental. Yes, there's only two. But they're fundamental in your work. Without your thumb, how much are your four fingers going to do? So this is, the foundation is the rights of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay, so we need to start focusing on the spiritual health. As we routinely go get checkups, blood tests, and have a very robust healthcare plan, we must have a plan for our spirituality. You see someone who is extremely obese, people feel sorry for them. You see someone who's smoking, people feel sorry for them. You have to look at his lungs. You see someone who's eating you know, dessert after dessert, say, oh my God, what's going to happen to his, you know, his blood sugar? People understand that. They sympathize with these things. They might even go give them advice. But when was the last time we gave advice to ourselves or to anyone else? What is the condition of your spirituality? Who's going to worry about that? Who is going to worry about our spirituality? There's no effort of that. Right? People are always talking about, mashallah, the importance of the gym that's built over here. The importance of the basketball you know, physical exercise and things of that sort. Everyone's happy and worried about these things, which is good, very good, because they're interlinked, by the way. 
But our society focuses so much on cosmetics, physical beauty, and physical health, that their overemphasis on that makes them completely oblivious of the dying heart. Some people are very uh, hassas, very sensitive. They have a very strong sense of smell. They come in and say, hey, what happened over here a year, an hour ago? Some, you, know, you know, I can smell something. Uh, they're very sensitive to taste. They can easily tell what masala was used, whether this packet was used or that packet was used, what wrong ingredient was added in here that messed up the whole thing, or what right ingredient was added that made everything perfect, that covered up everything else. Mashallah. So it's nice to have all of these types of you know, sensitivities and ability to be uh, hypersensitive on certain things. If you feel like you have... You have a taste for something. Some people have a taste for coffees. Some people have a taste for itters. Some people have a taste for cars. All sorts of things. And that guy won't know anything about it. But he knows every single thing in and out about that. That's fine. But what about a taste for our akhlaq? What about the taste for our spirituality? That how certain people can listen to the exhaust of a car and figure out what car that is. Some people can, uh, you know, see something from a far away, can see a plane, and can tell you what type of jet that is. They've built it up, they've studied this so well, they've created a zok for it. What about the zok to say, you know what, what I just said right now, that was inappropriate. Uh-uh. I just probably hurt his feelings. What I just did right now is totally unacceptable. This morning, I said something so and so, I did something such and such. That is not acceptable. That person walked in and said, Mubarak, my daughter is going to get married. Wait, he gave me the card, but when I received the card, I wasn't happy. Inside my heart, I'm thinking, how come my daughter's not married yet? That's not appropriate. Why did I feel like that? When someone came and shared the fact that they lost their job and they're asking for help, how come I didn't feel sympathy and sadness? when they shared that sad news with me. That's inappropriate. I should have felt empathy. I should have felt some sort of sadness there. Why? Why am I not feeling happy at a moment of happiness? Sad in a moment of sadness? Why don't I care about what ha what's happening to other people? Why is it about me, myself, and I? Something's happening in Africa. Something's happening in Burma. I'm also shocked. Like, yeah, do you just realize what you just said? At least don't express your apathy to this level. Fake it. But you're making everyone a witness to your apathy with these type of statements. I've got a, who's going to pay my bills? Who's going to worry? I've got other things to worry about. Astaghfirullah. When people are dying without even an egg, boiled egg to eat once a day, and we are dying from overeating, and for a person to say something like that, Okay, we got too many other problems. Dunya mein aur bhi hai, We can't always be worried about other people. These type of statements are very dangerous statements. They're emanating from where? They're emanating from a sick heart. So we need that ihsas. We need to always be checking the meter on our heart. Is there hasad in here? Asal mein Because we stop thinking. I want all of you to start looking at your heart. And I want to look at my heart. I want you to look at your heart. Are you jealous of someone? Right? Are you harboring grudges from someone? Are you not a well-wisher for someone? Just wishing difficulty comes upon someone. And if it is, you got to sort it out. You really have to do it before the soul leaves our heart, the soul leaves our body, and then we're going to face the repercussions forever. 
So it's not, the, the solution to this is in your hands. Every man has to check his own heart. What is the quality of my salah? What is the quality? Do I desire to recite Quran? Do I desire to sit in gatherings of ilm and dhikr? Or do I feel like I'm sitting on burning heart charcoal? I gotta run. Why, do I, why does it feel like that? Why is it that a music or videos or a movie, three hours, I will forget that I have to go to the bathroom back and watch it. But a simple 15 minute talk, 10 minute talk, uh, an hour talk becomes so unbearable. Kyu. So who's gonna have a solution to this? First of all, you have to look in your own self. Recognize the weaknesses of the soul. And then start making fikr to say, okay, I gotta find an expert. Abhi, recently someone said, Bhai, he came from another state. He said, I can't believe this institution is so big, so huge, so beautiful. Yeah, you guys should have a website. You should have some flyers. Did you exist? <laughs> Does anyone know? I said, yes. The one who's looking for this, he'll be here. I said, I don't, the one who has cancer, Allah forbid, he knows every single cancer research center in the country. If you have a problem, you'll find it. If you don't care about it, you will be living a, a half, a quarter mile away, you won't even know this masjid or madrasa exists. Because you have no concern about it, apathy. But if you have concern, you will go to the other end of the world and find what you need to find. So you might say, oh, where do I start from? Well, you start some from yourself. Sit down with yourself and see what are the diseases of the heart I'm suffering from. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. And when you start reading the books that focus on disease of the heart, on, spiritual, on spirituality, or even sit in, on, on, and recite the Qur'an or go through the translation of the Qur'an or listen to a dars of tafsir like this, you start reflecting on your own self to say, am I falling into the realm of munafiqeen or mu'mineen? Do I have the traits of hypocrites or do I have the traits of believers? When you realize where you stand, you'll be able to make that decision. And you will start looking for the solutions. Allah Azza wa Jal is the guide. Allah is the one who gives tarbiyah. Remember that. Tarbiyat karni walizat, Allah hi ki hai. The only one who can give your tarbiyah and my tarbiyah is Allah. He's murabbi haqiqi. The thing is, we have to show our genuine desire and want to get tarbiyah. And then when we present our case in front of Allah, Allah will show us who we need to go to, where we need to go, what book to read, and everything else will become solved. Kitne log I speak to, subhanAllah, they say, brother, I just was making the dua, and exactly what I needed here, I heard in my tafsir. Or exactly what you said in this talk was the answer. I just made dua. I wanted to meet someone. I mean, I've met, I've met countless people like this. What does happen? It's the sincere talab of those individuals, no matter what city it is, Allah will take us to that city, to that village, to that town, to go meet that one person, because he made sincere dua. That is how kareem and loving Allah Azza wa Jal is. He answers, well, if he answers the caller, if he answers the dua of a disbeliever who's in pain, <laughs> what do you think about a, a person who wants Allah? He says, Ya Allah, I want you. You think he's gonna let him go? Mango to say, ask Allah. Ask Allah from Allah. We've asked Allah for everything. Success in our business, success in marriage, this and that. When was the last time we asked Allah from Allah? I want you. I want your pleasure. I want you to be happy. That's the first and the most important thing I want from you, Ya Allah, is you grant me your happiness. When you start asking that from Allah Azza wa Jal, why would He deprive you? Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, Yawma la wa la The day of judgment is a day when wealth and children will be no benefit, except for the one who comes to Allah with a clean heart. A heart that is, does not have animosity, hatred. Huh? Jealousy, malice, all of these evil diseases. My dear brothers, uh, work on our, ourselves. Work on our... You hear your mom and dad say something. Oh man, this one is like this. 
in a nice manner, say, Ami Abu, just give it up. It's not worth it. What happened five years ago, ten, leave it, please. Because we have to love our mom and dad as well. And some of our moms and dads, they're so filled with grudges. Some of them are so filled with hasad. Some are filled with, they don't realize it. They don't even realize it. In a very respectful manner, we must share this. Depending on how you speak to your parents, of course, in a very respectful manner. You look for the right moment. And you don't say you're wrong and you're going to hell if you, if you hold this grudge, etc. That's obviously not a good way to do that. But the idea is, it's okay, mom. Alhamdulillah, I'm there for you. Allah is with you. Khalas, leave it. Whoever said whatever happened in the past, leave it. Let's move forward. We can't allow this to, you know, keep us, keep, you know, uh, we cannot allow this to become a shackles against us. Live and let live, forgive and forget. How many infractions we've done against Allah? Allah says, Forgive and forget. Do you not want Allah to forgive you? Say this, Ya Allah, I forgive all these people because I have done much more wrong to you than these people have done wrong to me. I forgive all of these people. I let all these grudges go. Please, you forgive me. So they need to hear this positive talk at home. Grandparents, you know, parents, and ourselves. That's the type of environment of trying to create qalbu salim. So Allah says, these three categories of people, those who have a sickness, some ulama have said sickness means lust, going towards these women who have covered themselves up properly and trying to still you know, flirt with them. That's a sickness that is being spoken about here. Or a sickness of doubt. And then the outright hypocrites. And the third, murjifuna fil madina, those who love to spread rumors in the city. If they don't stop, then I am going to, inst- I am going to ri- make you rise up, Ya Rasulullah, and attack them. And then when, when, when that happens, mal'oonin, they will be cursed. Wherever they shall be found, they will be cursed. What does la'na mean? La'na means to be pushed away from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wherever they're found, they will be grasped, they will be shackled, they will be, they will be imprisoned, or they will be taken, and they will be killed. Meaning, those hypocrites who cause this problem in Medina, Allah SWT is saying, your time is up. Your time is up, you will be exposed soon. And I'm going to order the Prophet to take you out. So when you have a chance to make tawbah, make tawbah right now. Sunnah Allah. This is the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hypocrites. You will never find, You will never find Allah's established way you will never find it to change. The way Allah has His protocols, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has established way of doing things, whether it's 2022 or if it's 2000 years ago, doesn't make a difference. Whatever is set by Allah Azza wa Jal, hypocrites may run, they may try to hide, but eventually they will get caught. They will get caught, they will get exposed. And hypocrisy is something that needs to be plucked out. Today, we're back in the era of having hypocrites. People see the benefit. Unfortunately, it's very shocking what I'm telling you, but it's true. That we have now a huge group of Muslims who are no longer, I mean, I should say, huge group of people who claim to be Muslims just to be able to stay within the home and have their parents pay for their college, pay for their phone, pay for their rent, pay for their car, mortgage, and have no faith. Complete hypocrisy. Inside is kufr. Complete kufr inside. The only reason they express themselves to be Muslim is to be able to have their father's credit card. That, now, that hypocrisy during the time of the Prophet ﷺ has now restarted again. May Allah Azza protect all of us from falling into this hypocrisy, from having people within our homes who fall into this, into this uh, category. We stopped at the ayah 62.
and inshallah tabarak wa ta'ala but regarding the day of judgment and we will continue on uh, from 60, ayah 63 next week um, let's do a few moments of dhikr inshallah for before salat al-isha also this is a reminder inshallah next saturday will be the quran night at 6 p.m so those listening online i request you please and those who are here make sure you join us with imam siraj wahad sheikh nadi kishk sheikh hassan saleh a beautiful night of quran and the benefit a dinner as well for phase three this will be a beautiful program next saturday evening and a full dinner also for the whole community uh for the entire family just just please rsvp on the link so we can make proper arrangements inshallah